Let us pray. Heavenly Father, at this time we pause to focus our attention on your word and on what you have to say to us this morning. And we ask that as we center our hearts, that you quiet our minds and that you clear away all the distractions that may compete for our attention. Bless the reading of this word, that as it is read, that it will make its way into our hearts and that your spirit will use it to to speak to each one of us in a new way today. That you will reveal somehow your gospel message and that these words will become so much more for us than just ink on paper, but that they will become uh, morsels of life that you feed to us. Bless this time that we have now in the presence of each other and in the presence of your Holy Spirit. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. Our scripture today is is actually from two separate passages. We'll be reading from Acts chapter 21 verses 27 through 36, and then we will be reading from Acts 22, verses 23 through 29. Acts 21, 27 through 36. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing Paul in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law of this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying, away with him. Now Acts 22, 23 through 29. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to them, said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
We've been studying through the book of Acts for some time, and as I said, we're going to have to at times act as a rock skipping across the pond. We can't cover it all. And, uh, and these two passages here sort of bookend um, this, this story that's going on with Paul. Remember, he left last week to say he left Ephesus to go to Jerusalem. And here he is in Jerusalem, and this first passage relates to the crowd who saw Paul and Paul is speaking about the Gentiles, and, uh, and he's got a Gentile with him, and they get all riled up, and they want him arrested. And then the, the last passage is about after Paul is under arrest, and he's about to be flogged, um, and then they realize that he was a Roman citizenship, and it's unlawful to do so. In between the two passages, Paul gives a defense of himself, and he tells who he is, And what his mission is, and at the end he says that he's there to preach to the Gentiles, and it makes everyone angry all over again, and and they want him uh, to be punished. So what really stands out in this passage uh, is is all the confusion. Um, It says the tribune came down to try to make sense out of what was happening, and he couldn't. He couldn't get the facts. Now, this sounds a lot like our our modern day and age where there's so many voices of dissent and there's so much anger and confusion going on that it's really hard for any of us to get the facts about what is going on. But that's what is happening here. There was so much confusion going on. And the confusion was caused by the mob's anger. Now, there will always be confusion. There will always be chaos as long as our anger is left unchecked. So today, as we talk about confusion, as we talk about how easy it is to be pulled away from the truth uh, and into confusion and chaos, I want us to try to identify, not with Paul in this passage, but with the crowd. It's easy for us to identify with Paul because Paul's kind of the hero here, right? Whenever we read a passage of Scripture, we, that's our tendency. We want to gravitate towards the good guy, the hero, or maybe the martyr or the victim, and identify with that. Because we can all think of a time when we were done wrong. It's much harder for us to look at the adversary and identify with them and put ourselves in their position. A wise pastor mentor told me one time uh, that the, the Scriptures will speak to you on a whole another level if you're able to uh, put yourself in the shoes of those that you don't want to put yourself in the shoes of. He said, you can read about Judas betraying Jesus and everybody can, can read that and put themselves in Jesus' position and think about how they've been betrayed. But how difficult is it to read the passage and then identify with Judas? We don't want to do that, do we? Because that might remind us of a time when we've betrayed somebody. But if we can do that, then the scriptures open up and they become even more powerful and they convict us in a whole new way. So today, rather than looking at Paul and trying to identify with him, I want us to identify with the angry crowd. Why was the crowd angry? Well, first of all, their anger was based on assumptions. Paul came in talking about the Gentiles and he had this Gentile with him. And so they assumed that Paul had brought this Gentile into the part of the temple that was reserved only for Jews. It says they supposed this, and they got angry. So their anger was based on assumption that was not backed up with proof at all. 
And if you look at what's going on in our world today, in our culture, you see so much of this. You see people getting angry based on their assumptions or based on their perception of what is going on. And we don't really know the truth all the time. We get angry because this political figure, we think, has these ulterior motives, so we're going to, to protest and get angry about it. Or we think that this political group over here has ulterior motives or an agenda, and so we're going to resist everything that they fight for or stand for. And so we have these assumptions that keep us from listening to each other. We have these assumptions that get us rooted even more deeply in our own opinions. And when we do that, we can miss the truth. Now, facts sometimes can be a very inconvenient thing, I know. It's like that, that saying, never let the facts get in the way of a good story. Now, I know some of y'all really believe in that. Some of, that that's some of your mottos. I've heard some great stories since I've been in Buena Vista. I don't know where the facts are in those stories, but they've been some great stories. But we have to pursue the facts. And all of us, really, we, on a deeper level, we want the truth. There's a, a, a TV show from the 1960s, Dragnet. Y'all remember Dragnet? And uh, Joe Friday would, would say, all we want are the facts, man. Just the facts, man. We all want facts, we all want the truth, but the problem is the facts and the truth are often so hard to find because people are, are shouting different things. And it's easy, just like the tribune here, to get lost in the confusion and not understand what the facts truly are. We have to ask ourselves, are our principles based on truth or are they based on what we assume to be truth? The second thing about the crowd's anger, not only was it based on assumptions, but it was also based on emotion. They didn't like this, um, the Paul discussing Gentiles this way and saying that salvation was offered to Gentiles, and, 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 and that made them mad. And these were Jewish people, and this was offensive what Paul was saying, and, and they didn't like that, so, so that just sort of fueled their anger. And we live in a world today where everybody is offended by something. And it, and it fuels our anger and we keep getting furious about one thing after another. And so what, what is the truth becomes blurred by what we think the truth should be. We have our own version of the truth, which is based on our emotions. I've, I've shared with some of you that I've been doing uh, some research on my family tree, uh, going back through the, uh, the genealogies. And I've been going on Ancestry.com. And it's amazing to me how people will willfully deny the truth because of the way it makes them feel. We all have things in our genealogy or in our ancestry that, that if you uncover, you, you won't be so proud of. But you can go and you can look at other people's family trees and you can see where it's, it's very obvious that this person is their grandfather and then this person is their great-grandfather. But you'll see where they've said, this person's my grandfather, but this person over here... I think he was my great-grandfather, even though he had to be eight years old when, when, when his son was born. And you'll see that people make these glaring errors almost on purpose because they don't want to accept the truth. And we do that. We let our emotions convince us of what is really true and what isn't. And that's why it's so important when it comes to our faith, 
when it comes to our values and our beliefs, it's important to pursue the real truth, the eternal truth, and not just our emotions. Now, there's nothing wrong with having an emotional experience when you're in worship or when you're in prayer. God can certainly speak to us through our emotions, or he can speak to us in a way that triggers our emotions. But unfortunately, I think we've, we've allowed our emotions to dictate our spiritual lives sometimes, and that's not how it should be. Now, uh, when I was a teenager, uh, there were a lot of uh, people around, myself included, but there were a lot of people around me my age who uh, their, their spirituality was based on their emotional experiences. We would go and we would have Bible study and we would have worship and we would sing praise songs, and it was always very emotional. And I remember there was this one guy named Matt that, that I looked up to a lot because he always had a good word. He always had a scripture that, that he could pull out. And he, he was my age. He was another teenager. Um, and he would always pray these wonderful prayers. He just really seemed like he was on fire for God. And one day during the worship service at church, I noticed that about halfway through the service, he got up and walked out. And I didn't understand why, so I went and I pursued him, and I went out into the vestibule, and I asked him, Matt, what's wrong? Where are you going? And he said, I'm just not feeling it anymore. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I mean, I don't feel it this morning. It doesn't feel real to me. I'm, I'm really starting to doubt what I believe because I don't, it doesn't feel real to me this morning. And, and that's a mistake that so many of us make. We base our faith off of our emotions, what we feel to be real. Our emotions come and go. They can change. But the truth is eternal. And that's why it's so important for us not to root our emotions or, or our faith on our emotions, but rather on the pursuit of truth. You see, as Christians, we all should be living in the truth. That doesn't mean that we will never be wrong. But that means that we will always be actively pursuing the real truth. That is, God's truth. When we strip away the emotions, when we strip away our anger and our fear, when we strip away our assumptions and our pre preconceived notions, the truth is always beneath the surface somewhere because God always makes the truth available to us. When you strip away the anger from this crowd and all their assumptions, Paul was left standing there as a Roman citizen uncondemned. That was the truth. The truth that was covered up in the chaos. God always offers us the truth. His ways are truth. His word is truth. And he offered us his son, Jesus Christ, who claimed, I am the truth. But the thing is, we miss the truth so many times when we let other voices, even the voices of our own emotions, grab our attention instead. There's a, a, a real connection between this story and, and the arrest of Jesus. Have you noticed that? The crowd turns on Paul almost the same way they turned on Jesus before he, right before or, or right as he was being arrested. Of course, it ends differently. Jesus ends up crucified. Paul doesn't. But you see that this, this crowd becomes so emotional. They get riled up together and they all turn on Paul the same way they did against Jesus. And we can look back and say, well, I never would have done that. 
I never would have gotten, become a part of an angry crowd and turned on someone like Jesus or someone like Paul. The truth is, we don't know what we would have done. Remember, Peter said, I will never deny you. And then when the crowd turned against Jesus, Peter said, no, I don't know that man. That was Peter. That was Jesus' right-hand guy. And in the, the fear, he said, I don't know him. We don't know how we would have reacted. Would we have been part of that angry crowd? Would we have been part of the fearful crowd? We don't know. We would be surprised probably by the way we would have let our emotions cover up the truth. Why do people miss the truth? It's because of confusion, because of wavering emotions, and because of loud voices that say otherwise. There are always loud voices trying to convince us of what we should believe. And they will be conflicting, they will be competing. And as I said, God's truth is eternal. It's always there, it's always made available to us. But God is not going to shout his truth at us through a bullhorn to try to scream louder than all the other voices. In fact, we have to often become quiet to hear what God has to say. Elijah was called into the wilderness to have a conversation with God. Elijah sat there in a storm, the thunder, the whirlwind. He sat there through a raging fire. God's voice was in none of these. When the fire had passed, when the storm had passed, when the whirlwind had passed, then there was silence, and it says, in the silence, God spoke to Elijah. You see, there are storms of chaos and controversy raising, trying to grab our attention all the time. God's truth is there beneath it all. That's why Jesus would often retreat. You see him in ministry, you see him going out into the crowds, you see him healing people, feeding people, preaching to people. But then you see him time and time again in the Gospels, you see he would send his disciples away. He would go up on the mountainside to be with God. Or before his ministry started, he went into the wilderness by himself to fast. Because he knew what the psalmist said. Be still and know that I am God. He knew that stillness was part of determining the truth. We have to break away from the loud voices that scream at us otherwise. We will live in chaos and we will live in utter confusion as long as we are not willing to quiet the loud voices around us. We can never know what God has to say to us if we are living each moment based on our assumptions. And we cannot be still and know what God has to say if we are caught up in our emotions, in our fear, in our anger. The truth is real. The truth is not subjective. That's another thing that, that the, the world tries to tell us. Well, the truth is subjective. The truth is what you make it. The truth is different for everybody. No, the eternal truth is the eternal truth. There's no wavering in it. It's a real thing. And it's made available to us and if we truly want to know how to live in that truth, we have to actively pursue it. We have to actively pursue what God has to say to us in the midst of every situation. We cannot let ourselves 
fall into the powerful and destructive trap that anger, fear, and false assumptions lay before us. Pursuing truth, aiming to live in the truth, is an ongoing process. And it's one that can only be done if we are committed to listening to the voice of God above all other voices, even when those other voices are sometimes our own. Let us pray. Lord, we confess that there are so many times we have pursued our idea of truth ahead of what your truth really is. There are times when we have let our emotions get the best of us. There are times where we have let the angry crowds persuade us. Lord, we ask that you forgive us for this. And that you teach us to quiet our minds, quiet our emotions in a way that you can speak to us. That you can reveal your ways to us. Lord, help us to live in the truth in a way where we commit each day to you. We commit each day to pursuing your will for our lives. And not someone else's will. And not the enemy's will as the enemy tries to trap us and ensnare us with our own emotions. Lord, give us strength for the journey as we pursue you, as we pursue righteousness, and as we pursue your truth through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is hymn number 337 from the United Methodist Hymnal. It's only trust him. If you made a decision of any type today, I invite you and encourage you to come forward and share that with us. Uh, As a reminder, the altar is always open for anyone who wishes to come forward and, and spend a few moments in prayer. But please stand if you are able. Join us in singing hymn number 337, Only Trust Him.